Hey guys, Evan here. Before we start this week's show, we wanted to acknowledge the tremendous pain our country is going through right now. We recorded this podcast prior to the horrific death of George Perry Floyd Jr., in which we chose to discuss Walker, Texas Rangers' sometimes progressive and oftentimes ham-handed treatment of race on the show. Please keep that in mind. If there ever was a time for an episode with Walker Roundhouse kicking white supremacists, it's now. But it's become clear that we all have much more to do, and perhaps it starts first with introspection and conversation, and then action. Thank you for joining us. Now, back to our regularly scheduled pod programming. Welcome to Roundhouse Roulette, the Walker, Texas Ranger podcast. Each week, we recap and review one of the 200 existing Walker, Texas Ranger episodes, randomly selected by Roundhouse Roulette. I'm Evan Dalton, here with my brother Adam, and our brother from another mother, Bob Leahy. What's new, guys? What's going on, man? Hey, not much, you know? Just hanging in there. (laughs) Well, we hope you have all been safe amidst the current COVID craziness. Uh, Right now, we'd just like to take a moment and thank the essential workers in the grocery and medical communities doing their part to save lives and allowing us to socially isolate and talk about one of our favorite shows, Chuck Norris has nothing on you guys. Today we're recapping uh, this week's episode, which is Season 5, Episode 2. It is sort of innocuously called Patriot. It's a real doozy, and it's uh, pretty ham-handed in its treatment of certain social issues like domestic violence, and perhaps even more prominently, racism in America. Because who wants to learn about racism from Chuck Norris? Sure. He's, He's definitely an expert. We thought it best to briefly discuss the show, Walker, Texas Rangers, place in 2020 as only three white guys from New England can. (laughs) We're pretty pasty white. I don't think this show could be made today. Um, And in some ways, that's why the show is so awesome. But uh, as we get into in this episode, it does kind of make me feel a little bit uncomfortable the way they deal with these very serious topics Almost as if they are uh, doing the public a service by bringing these issues into the mainstream and and having them discussed. I just don't know that Walker, Texas Ranger, the TV show, is the proper place to really deal with America's race issues and domestic abuse, especially the way they treat it. Yeah, Twitter would completely tear this apart. This would never, (laughs) it would never make it today. Sorry. (laughs) I mean, their heart is in the right place, though. You know, they're trying to shed some light on some important issues. Yeah, I really feel that they believe that, you know. Yeah, they they do. They they certainly do. And yeah, it's really not the place on like an action TV show. I I wrote down in uh, my notes of this episode, I I said that this episode really walks the line between uh, an expose of underground militarized racist groups and action fluff meant for the whitest viewer base out there. <laughs> Wraps it up much, pretty well. That's yeah, <laughs> so, a good synopsis. Uh, uh, and it's almost as if, I mean, they, yeah, they're, they're very seriously dealing with it, but in a platform that is just inherently wacky and mm. ridiculous. So it yeah. kind of makes it seem a little disingenuous, I suppose. Yeah, Um, and I'm sure as we get into more episodes, uh, we'll be pointing this out 
Um, but one consistent theme is uh, Trevette Walker's partner is African-American. And I really feel like the show believes that they're actually doing a good thing by making uh, the whitest man in the world, Chuck Norris, have a partner who's African-American. Um, at the same time, they always are essentially making him the butt of the, all the jokes and Walker always usurps him with something. Walker's never wrong, and Trevette's always the one who, who messes up. And that's a little problematic uh, for me watching it. And I, I do think uh, Trevette adds a, an energy that Walker just doesn't have. Obviously, Chuck Norris, he talks monotone most of his lines. So Trevette's <laughs> energy is, is, is much needed in the episode. Uh, but uh, the way they... To handle him sometimes is a little problematic for me. I think Clarence Gilliard actually is still teaching acting at some college somewhere, whereas Chuck Norris wouldn't get away with doing that, I don't think. No, no yeah. he would not. <laughs> I think Tre- I think Trevette as a character is somewhat indicative of how maybe watered down they're trying to, to, to play his race. I mean, he's his backstory is he's basically a wide receiver for the Dallas Cowboys who got some sort of injury and then joined the Texas Rangers because he couldn't play professional anymore. Mm, Cowboys so and a like, Ranger. You're trying to make him as uh, a household name as possible and that everyone recognizes him as being from America's football team and all of that. And it kind of takes away from any sort of inherent benefit they might have by having some form of diversity on the show. Mm. I think it's going to be interesting uh, to see how they handle all this when they reboot the show. Apparently, it's just going to be called Walker, uh, but they're going to be using a lot of the same themes and whatnot. I read that Walker's brother is essentially the Alex Cahill role. So Walker's love interest in the old show is actually going to be his brother, who is a gay conservative assistant district attorney who took care of Walker's kids after Walker's wife was murdered and Walker went undercover for years, I'm presuming to avoid dealing with the pain of losing his wife. So it, it remains to be seen if they learn their lesson with dealing with these themes in a ham-handed fashion. Is it is it a reboot or is it a... a oh, it's a reboot. And uh, this new Walker is going to be on the CW. So He is? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Wow. So um, it should be interesting to see what they do with it, but we'll have to keep keep watching that. But. Well, that's very strange because Walker, I think the demographic that watched Walker, Texas Ranger, tended older than maybe the CW's audience right now, which is, I think, mostly teenage girls that watch vampire shows. Yeah. We should also say that uh, Walker as a show sort of started out really leaning heavily into the whole cultural appropriation of Native American culture as well. Uh, sure did. And they seem to have sort of uh, worked their way away from that by season five. But I guess we'll find out when they really give that one up. Yeah. Um, we're still not exactly sure where Walker would stand today, but um, there's only one way to find out. I guess we'll see what the reboot does. If you're watching along at home and don't want any 25-year-old spoilers, hit pause and watch season five, episode two, Patriot. And if you're feeling particularly generous... Come back to us. All right, welcome back. Let's dig into this one. This episode uh, originally aired on September 28th, 1996. And I'd like to 
kick it off with the actual plot summary from the back of the DVD case, which I think we'll find, uh, in general, does an absolutely terrible job of summarizing what the show actually is. But <laughs> in this case, it reads, In retaliation for arresting their leader, a white supremacist group takes a television station and its employees hostage. I mean, that kind of sums it up. They did a pretty good job there, but how that all uh, came down, we'll have to dig into. Yeah, I mean, it's much like many other Walker, Texas Ranger episodes in that it's a classic case of being in the wrong place at the wrong time, but also that happening to multiple characters in the show. It's like Seinfeld, where everything all comes together at the end, except everyone's in peril at the end. It doesn't pay to be friends of anybody on this show. I mean, if you're an old friend of Walker's, you better watch out. And as we learn in this episode, if you're a relative of Trevette's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <man. laughs> oh, man. Don't live in Texas. I was not prepared for that, that intro. I really wasn't. I, I wasn't sure where it would go, but um, wow. That escalated very quickly. <laughs> it did. I, yeah. My yeah. jaw was on the floor. I think the answer to where it would go is off the road. And bursting into flames. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, Trevette's cousin is um, the inventory manager at an... Army barracks, yeah. And he discovers some uh, discrepancies. And as we later find out, a white supremacist faction of his army mates have been stealing weaponry for some sort of major move. Coincidentally, Trevette visits him on the same day he discovers all this stuff. They make a date to play basketball. In keeping with our previous discussion, Trevette was able to spin a basketball on his finger. Mm. We also note that uh, his cousin's last name is Jordan. Uh, So he probably is related to Michael Jordan. You're right. (laughs) Don't they have Uh, a little discussion about growing up in Baltimore, too? Like in the inner city? Yeah. So we'll throw that out there. Set the scene. So needless to say, Trevette's uh, cousin is African-American. And we find out that... I'm, I'm so bad, I don't know anything about the military. Are these guys uh, army guys? Yeah, just say, like, Sergeant Sergeant Major, <laughs> Lieutenant Corporal, <laughs> Lieutenant Captain. Corporal. Yeah. I think one yeah. was a captain. Yeah, yeah. well, the main, the main bad guy's, uh, I think, a corporal. Oh, okay. And uh, Trevette's cousin's a lieutenant, I think. But anyways, this seems to be something that's been going on for a long time, where somehow uh, no one notices a white supremacist tattoo on the uh, upper left bicep of the main bad guy uh, while he's, say, at any point in time, sleeveless on the military base. No one notices this tattoo. I mean, he does have his sleeves (laughs) rolled up, like, the whole time. I know. It looks pretty hard. Yeah. The tattoo is for the Freedom Brigade, which is perhaps the dumbest name for a white supremacist group. Not that any of them have good names, but... uh, the Freedom Brigade sounds like a group of small children that want to be superheroes. It opens up with this whole thing with Trevette and his cousin catching up on the army base. And then Trevette leaves and his cousin kind of discovers this inventory discrepancy of all the weapons. And he calls Trevette and Trevette plans to meet with him the next day because they can't talk about it over the phone. You never know who's listening. Flash to his cousin driving in... Is that like an Oldsmobile? Oh, yeah. It's a beater. Yeah. 
they knew that they were going to do something to that car. So he's driving that, and he's he's like on the road headed to Trevette with this evidence of stolen military goods sitting in a briefcase in the front seat next to him. And they flash the back seat, and you think it's a bomb. I was like, oh, did they plant a bomb on this guy? Right, I thought so too. Yeah. And, and that almost would have been more um, uh, humane than what happens. <laughs> I couldn't believe what happens next. It's not a bomb. It's actually like some sort of knockout gas or, or cyanide <laughs> or something. And it lights out, and he pulls off the road. The car flips over like two times. And then I'm waiting for the car to explode. Right, and I it, thought it would do that too. <laughs> and the car doesn't explode. Two of the uh, white supremacists pull up in like a pickup truck, and they come out, and he thinks they're going to help him. And I'm like, he didn't explode. Maybe they'll just like say, hey, this we're teaching you a lesson and, and let them live or kill them with a gun or something. Any of those options still would have been more humane than what they do. They pour whiskey over him. And then they light the car on fire. Yeah, they pour gas on it too. Whiskey yeah, yeah. and gas. So, and then... I mean, if, if anyone actually did analysis on it, they'd find, oh, the car is actually soaked in gasoline. And, oh, wait, there's this weird device underneath the driver's seat. <laughs> In, in a better show, I thought they would like you know in a show like Better Call Saul, they would have removed the thing from the back seat. Like the bad guys would have been like, okay, mm-hmm. we better take this device out now, then mm-hmm. torch the car. These bad guys left the gas device in the back seat and then torch the car, thus leaving evidence. Well, not only that, when I I noticed uh, after they poured a a handle of Jack Daniels all over him, uh, they dropped the bottle outside of the car. <laughs> That actually was why, I guess. <laughs> I right? guess. Yeah, so he wrecked. It, so the police would see that and they'd say, this guy wrecked his car and it just blew up. Mm-hmm. But not before he could throw the empty bottle of booze out the window to make sure yeah. everybody knew mm-hmm. that he was drunk and that's why yeah. he crashed. Yeah. And exactly. let, me, let me just add this to the, the whole crash itself. When he starts to go out from the gas and he's, oh, oh I'm, all, I'm all disoriented. <laughs> he keeps driving at the same speed. He doesn't. I mean, it, anyone in their right mind had problems behind the wheel. You'd pull over, right? Right, and, yeah. Right. Hit the brakes. He just almost just keeps going and then just goes off the road. It is a pretty good. He hits that little jump. Yeah, yeah there was definitely a, a jump. Like, there was like, a jump it was off camera. I would say, like, <laughs> season six onwards, if that happened in Walker, the car would just blow up. Like, Once yeah. it hit the ground, yeah. Yeah. Like, it I think hits in that one of the episodes it just immediately explodes. Yeah, one of the episodes is like a fender bender and the car blows up. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well well you, you forgot the biggest part. This was the big reveal that they're white supremacists. Right before the guy throws his uh, Molotov cocktail at the car or whatever to set it ablaze, he says the most chilling words ever. Adios boy. And they're they're oh definitely playing, they're definitely skirting the line here as to what you can and can't say on you know on TV. Yeah, I mean, um, I wish I think like if they didn't come up with like a uh, alternative to saying the n word in this episode, it would have been more chilling. But instead, they decided to say like, oh well, we probably shouldn't say the n word because nobody ever should. Instead, they're like, well, we can use the word boy in place of that word and later they may have even come up with something even worse i would say they probably did 
Not worse, but they definitely found something that was um, pretty reprehensible. I also find it interesting that a white supremacist would use Spanish, but... Yeah, he said adios. <laughs> but they're in Texas. Tex-Mex. So. That's true, you know. It's, it's part of the culture. Holy moly. Yeah. And that's just the opening scene. I know. Yeah, we haven't even hit the... Um... We haven't even hit the title. Yeah, the, the, uh, the credits haven't started rolling. Long story short, Walker and Trevette know something's up because Trevette knows that his cousin would never drink. You know, this is classic Texas Ranger detective work, which is 95% hunches, 5% punches. That's it. <laughs> and uh, I would say that they're just kind of sniffing things out, and they find this uh, corporal who's showing them around the base, and uh, Trevette's doing some snooping around, and uh, Walker's just doing his classic interrogation technique where he just shows off about his past, where he was a Marine. And, uh, yeah, they know this guy's bad news, and they follow him in one of the least conspicuous vehicles out there, uh, Walker's enormous Dodge Ram truck. <laughs> uh, but it's okay, they're one car behind, so he'll never know that Walker's following him. Yeah. And they stumble upon an arms deal between all these white supremacists, and then they... Bring down the hammer. There was probably about maybe five to ten white supremacists with, part of my French, a shitload of guns and ammo. And are they going to take them on with just two guys? Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, I mean, if anyone would notice that those boxes must have been pretty light because one guy apparently unloaded them off of a vehicle. And uh, also, he opens up one of them and it's like this huge wooden crate. And it's got a bunch of sawdust and, like, two grenades in it. He's like, this look pretty good for you? The guy's like, oh, yeah, that's going to be great. It's like, <laughs> yeah, if, if each one of these crates has two grenades in it, you'll be all set, man. Of course, Walker and Trevette get into the start of the episode skirmish. And um, I think it, what happens in here is almost a roundhouse kick. Walker is fighting one of the guys, and his foot's planted on the ground, and he spins around. And kick somebody, and his form is excellent. But I think I, I don't think uh, I don't think it counts as a roundhouse kick. What do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. I, originally, I thought it was, and then I took another look. It, it was planted. Foot was planted. Yeah. He, did, he didn't get any air momentum. There was resistance on the ground, and the impact was not as swift as if he had gotten airborne. In my opinion. Yeah, I mean Walker's roundhouse kicks is a, are, are are very similar to like when he transfers from one vehicle to the next. They often have a lot of uncomfortable eye contact, and this one didn't have that. It was kind of a throwaway, you know, so yeah, they didn't really uh, slow-mow it or anything, so that's another reason I don't yeah. think it really counts. Yeah, there's not Again, a lot yeah, of showmanship. Slow-mo, um, but I think it was a taste, you know. It was like, oh, okay, all right, we'll see what happens later, you know. Yeah, a little tease. So so I would like to say that this scene, I, I watched it and I couldn't stop laughing because... Uh, last episode, I came up with this theory that since Walker is clearly sponsored by Dodge because he's got his Dodge Ram truck, that mm. all the bad guys' cars would not be Dodges. The last episode we watched, the bad guys' car was a Chevy. This one, three bad guy vehicles, all Chevy trucks. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Amazing. I love this. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> Man. Chevy, the choice of eco-terrorism and white supremacy. <laughs> well, this is going to come to another problematic uh, race thing about this episode. It comes to a head for me at the end of this scene. So they're fighting, and somehow uh, Trevette 
takes the lead main white supremacist on and pretty much takes him out. Uh, and Trevette's holding his gun on him, and the guy's taunting him because Trevette's black. And Trevette starts talking at him like he might shoot him. And the voice of reason, White Walker, comes in and tells him, no, you shouldn't shoot people. Yeah, I mean, I see that, yeah. but it, it was also, you know, Trevette was heated. They could have had Trevette be a better person without having Walker correct him. And if this is a one-time thing, I'd say, okay. But this same scene happens again later in the episode with another African-American character. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, the story of the episode is a little weird. There's a parallel storyline where Alex Cahill, Walker's will-they-won't-they they girlfriend. Assistant district attorney. Yes. At this point. Uh, and a champion for women's rights and a bunch of other things. She's going to be on her old friend's TV show. Her old friend, of course, is a producer and anchor on a minority-owned television station in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, which, quite frankly, that whole uh, sort of storyline is relatively boring until people bring guns into it. Because this is Walker, Texas Ranger. And I was thinking, you know, the general framework of the show is, you know, something exciting at the beginning to keep you hooked. But really, they're letting their viewers take a nap <laughs> between the fights at the beginning and the end. And you're saying this plot line is is the nap portion? Yes. Yeah, this is, you're, you're making chicken wings in the other room when this part's on. <laughs> okay. This, this is the bathroom break. You're microwaving some Totinos. <laughs> So while you're making potato skins or whatever you're doing, um, this plot line's going on. And the reason why she's co-hosting this show is because Alex founded a battered women's foundation, which is a noble cause. But again, this show is already trying to deal with white supremacists. Now they're going to deal with battered women in the same show and actually do both topics justice? I don't yep. think so. Yeah, that's exactly what they're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> also of note, she tries to get Walker to come on the show with her. Oh, yeah. He goes, oh, no, you know, that's not my thing. I, I don't like being on TV or anything like that. I believe he calls her a blabbermouth. And then she puts him in a chokehold. Yeah, which he taught her. So it's of okay. Course. <laughs> it's okay. Of course. Yeah. Flash to everyone's watching uh, Alex's TV show at CD's bar and talking about the Battered Women Foundation and how most of the violence that you experience happens from in your home from people you know. Flash to white supremacists break into the TV studio, <laughs> fire off semi-automatic guns, and take over the broadcast and announce that the Patriots of the Freedom Brigade have taken over the TV station. <laughs> happened from people they didn't know. Right, and not in their home either. Exactly. So. That that actually that transition was awesome. It actually made me jump. It legit made me jump. I was like, "What? Awesome!" Oh man. <laughs> so technically, the white supremacists take over the building now in order to free the leader who got arrested earlier in the episode, who was the one that faced off with Trevette Hawkins. Was his name, by the way? Hawkins. All right, Hawkins. Perfect. Yeah, we should probably get these names correct. Corporal Hawkins. (laughs) I believe he's on uh, Twin Peaks. I remember an episode of Law and Order Criminal Intent with that guy. 
definitely a mid nineties type dude. He was on Twin Peaks. Really? Yeah. I thought he. I thought that guy was the worst actor in this episode. Yeah, he was I bad. Mean, he was so. He was bad. real bad. Yeah. So I'm surprised yep. he actually got work <laughs> outside of this. Uh, but yeah. that look—he does have a very evil look. So. Well, I mean, if I guess you, knew, that gets you, you were about far. to get like kicked in the face uh, repeatedly uh, in the episode. Do you think you'd really give it your all? Yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, I don't know. We'll cut him some slack. Yeah. So the white supremacists. <laughs> Who were <laughs> walking around the TV station in onesies? What did it say in the back? Oh, like freedom air conditioning or something? Yeah, uh, yeah. freedom heating and cooling was written on the back of there. <laughs> well, it was, it was clearly onesies. freshly screen printed onto this green jumpsuit, <laughs> and I was thinking, like, yeah, the prop master for that TV show—they just have that lying around. They're like, well, it could be an inmate, it could be uh, an electrician, and they just screen printed that on the back. And they're holding everybody in the TV station hostage, including Alex and her friend, uh, who is African-American. And when they take over the station, they proceed to throw her on the ground and punch her in the face. They batter a woman. Yes. Immediately after saying that this stuff happens from people you know. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Well, we, you can only focus on one thing at once and one thing at a time, right? So we're not talking about battered women anymore. We don't care about that. We're, we've moved on. Now it's about racism. That was literally a double whammy right there. Yeah. Yeah. So they take over the station. And uh, what happens, Evan? They make their play. Um, it comes comes known to us that they're planning on using the hostages from within the television station to uh, get Corporal... Hawkins. Hawkins. <laughs> Trying to get Corporal Hawkins back. And, you know, the negotiator's basically just like, well, we can't really negotiate with it. And then the guy who owns the news station, who's the husband of Alex's friend, he's like, I'm just going to talk to the mayor and, and we'll get him. Don't worry. No worries. So they negotiate with terrorists. They let Hawkins back into the building. And he's like, that's great, guys. You did such a great job. We're not really going to release any of these hostages. We're going to use this TV station to transmit our message for freedom. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's basically their attempt to like reach out to the greater Dallas area uh, to try to recruit more people to the Freedom Brigade. Mm. Um, there are a bunch of guys guarding the building on every floor, and they're using these clunky like landmines that each one has its own on-off switch. And they're directional, and, too, by the way. Yeah, the directional, yep. Because, you know, an explosion can totally be like that. And <laughs> uh, and also they beep, which is another thing I'm noticing. Uh, in the last episode we watched, uh, the explosives on the oil rig, they all beeped. And these landmines beep, too. It just it makes it easier for Walker to find them, I guess. Yeah, probably. Um, uh, but, speaking of which, how does Walker... Uh, <laughs> get into the picture here because he hasn't seemed to be doing much this whole episode well when it becomes clear that uh, hawkins isn't going to give the hostages back he says well i guess i'm going in and i, I think the guy I, he might have been fbi he kind of hooked walker up with a uh, protective onesie that looked literally like your handyman would wear uh, mm-hmm. with no protective gear whatsoever and i believe he said don't bring it back with any holes in it he looked like a janitor dude that's that's macho talk for you go get him, man. Yeah. yeah. Don't get shout up. Don't get yourself all shout up. <laughs> so they, they drop him. They're like, hey, look at this map. Uh, they hold up a map, 
in front of his face for about two seconds. And he looks at it and he says, okay, got it. As if he had enough time to look at the whole map. And then they put him at like this uh, sewer entrance, like the, the block over. And he climbs down a ladder. And this could be my favorite moment of the episode. Because he's climbing down the ladder and the music's swelling as if it's the most tense thing you've ever seen. And then he gets down the ladder and he looks around. And it's, it's I feel like it was all one shot. And then he gets to what looks like a ramp with like a handicap bar. And he climbs up the handicap bar and the music's swelling as if it's the craziest thing ever. And then he gets over the handicap bar and then the music dies down. Yeah, yeah. And nothing happens. He's like, I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) It was like a grandfather climbing up over like a handicap rail. That was like a stunt. That was not a stunt. He's like a ninja, dude. That was kind of how he got in there. What what happened from there? He starts taking dudes out systematically, which is perhaps my favorite aspect of any sort of Walker episode is this one-man army thing. So that this is definitely our hashtag, one-man army. This is a hashtag, one-man army, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he starts taking these dudes out, and they've got all these hostages everywhere. And this is really where we start to see, like, Walker's true strength, because all he has to do is just, like, hit someone once, and they're out. Not only that, they, like, flip over themselves. It's insane. Yeah. I think yeah. this is this is where I made that note, and I was talking about earlier where Walker impact distance. And I didn't know what I'd why I'd written that down, but now it's coming back to me as I knew it would. <laughs> he he kicks a guy or punches a guy, and he flies you know six <laughs> feet through the air into a desk and crashes through it or something like that. So uh, yeah, and the, the other thing I noticed this this particular part starts to really give me a lot of diehard feelings. Oh yeah, you know he's sneaking in. He's taking guys out one at a time. He's in, mm-hmm. you know, so and that kind of continues the whole hostage thing. It is a Die Hard episode, and and we gotta say it. I mean, Trevette was in the movie Die Hard. That's true. Yep. That's true. Uh, he played about as big a role in this movie as he did in the movie Die Hard or in the show. <laughs> as he did, yeah. Um, I noticed too, like right before they bust in with guns and everything, they put these black, you know, robber masks on, right? And then as soon as they take over control, they take the masks off. <laughs> In- including when it's being broadcast on live television. <laughs> Why even sweat. wear the mask? Maybe there's a point where they have to be like, okay, we're all in. Now, <laughs> yeah. we can't run away. We'll just take off the mask. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. But, uh, but Walker's, Walker's uh, quip game is on point. Uh, he's got a one-liner... For every single bad guy he takes out, which is pretty awesome. He did a sleeper hold that was one of the quickest sleeper holds I've ever seen, I think, in this one, right? <laughs> it was like literally he put his arm around his neck, the guy passed out. Oh, yeah. No, that guy, that that was my favorite takeout of any of these guys. Because the guy, he's wondering what the heck is going on. He comes into the stairwell and Walker punches him. And then it, it, it clips to a shot from around the corner. And the guy just like does a backflip out of that. <laughs> Walker comes in, like, kicks the guy in the stomach, and then puts him in a sleeper hold, and he's out. And it's like, that guy has no idea what hit him. (laughs) (laughs) That was an instant sleeper hold, too. That was pretty good. That must have been some of his martial arts training there. Oh, oh, and perhaps the most heavy-handed of all things in this episode is when Walker's trying to create a diversion, and he's got Trevette on the radio, and he's like, Trevette, 
say something. Just say anything because he's just he wants to turn the volume up so it makes a distraction. Yeah. And Trevette, no hesitation, busts into the Emancipation Proclamation. It's like oh, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty perfect. Yeah. <laughs> what is happening here? Oh my gosh. <laughs> And again, that kind of makes he kind of makes Trevette look like a fool because Trevette's talking like he doesn't know what he's doing, and then Walker comes back. That's enough. You yeah. know what I mean? It was kind of yeah. like this kind of weird thing. Walker is playing the Great Emancipator, basically. He's getting oh. everyone out of that building. Oh my god! So then, then they flash to uh, the hostage situation. Alex's uh, African American friend, who's the host of the TV show, she stands up again for all her workers and the whole TV station to the white supremacists and then gets hit in the face again for the second time. I was just like, that was not necessary at all. It was brutal. No, it was like, I, I think as soon as someone's labeled like a white supremacist, they're kind of already a bad guy. Yeah. You don't have to like beat a woman up in Twice front of everyone. The same and- woman. Which lens are we looking through here? Just do one lens at a time, okay? And at this point, she turns to Alex and says... If I had a gun, I would take those guys out. And then Alex stops her, white Alex, and says, no, you shouldn't do that. Just yeah. like Walker did earlier in the episode with Trevette. Now's the time to keep your head about you. It was mm-hmm. like, oh, man, the, the show <laughs> is so... <laughs> so, you know, Walker systematically takes dudes out. Uh, including he's diffusing bombs, and one of them he just decides not to diffuse. He decides to rig up to go the opposite direction. It, almost like he was anticipating this guy walking down with a detonator, which happens. And Walker tricks him into blowing himself out a window, which they're like, well, we need to blow something up here. Yeah. And p- prior to that, the terrorists had actually, um, they blew up the first floor, apparently. But all they blew up was like this fake... Uh, entryway. Right. <laughs> it was clearly made out of, like, cardboard. Now, if you're going to blow up a building, right, um, and you start at the foundation, wouldn't the whole rest of the building crumble? Just going to throw it, that out there. It seems like a bad plan. <laughs> I, I don't know, but it doesn't seem like a good yeah. good move. Yeah. Um, yeah, traditional wisdom is if you blow up the first floor, the rest, the rest is going to come cave. down, too. Yeah. yeah, not so good. But, um, yeah. I think they were like, if you keep sending people in here, we're going to blow up the second floor, too. Yeah. I think right. that was their thing. I was like, what? There was, there was no people on the first floor. That was the one. Right. Yeah. But the people outside didn't even know that. So there's the... <laughs> oh, Anyways, my gosh. Getting down to brass, getting down to brass tacks here, though. Like Walker busts in while they're making like this this whole like TV show rant. Uh, and Walker just like he just like kicks out another bad guy, and then has a face off with the main bad dude, Corporal Hawkins. And at this point, I should point out how odd and awesome that this is taking place in a TV studio, and all of the camera guys stayed behind their cameras and kept <laughs> shooting it like it was an episode of Walker Texas Ranger. So the whole fight with Hawkins. It's edited, and you can see it, and there's, like, everyone in CD's bars watching the fight and cheering it on. It's, it's like almost pay-per-view. like they're, like, modeling <laughs> what they think the ideal uh, Walker viewing uh, experience is like. <laughs> so they're like, oh, yeah, you know, you're watching with your friends, and you're all cheering him on in the bar, and he's kicking people out. And it it's, it's a very – it's almost – 
It's almost self-aware. It might be the closest Walker ever, the show ever comes to being self-aware. Almost saying, well, this is a TV show within a TV show where some, some dude's ninja kicking people. Yeah, that's the uh, Walker Inception moment. I actually had written that down in my notes, Walker Inception. <laughs> <laughs> because when they all start fighting and like, people are probably going to get shot or killed, you still put that to air. To live broadcast, right? You wouldn't stop. I mean, that's you're going to win some local Emmys yeah. with that kind of with that kind of material. So now, Bob, as a percussionist and uh, an amateur foley artist, what is your take on the sound effects game for for this episode? Last episode that we watched, um, I was happy. Right, I was, I was like, oh yeah, this is pretty good, pretty over the top. This episode was so much better. Every punch, <laughs> every kick. In fact, in this last fight with the roundhouse kicks and everything, every time he goes to slow-mo, and especially with this, the grand finale, the audio goes to slow-mo, too. And it's just like like a punch. Go, instead of it's like, it goes, you know? It's, uh. So I was just, when I watched this, I was like thinking, you know, every episode around this episode probably also has absurd sound effects. So probably the whole season, or maybe the rest of the series, for all I know. Uh, but it was really, really spectacular. Very impressed. You, you know how in, like, in 90s video games, whenever you beat a boss, they'd be like, whoa, and make like, some crazy groaning noise? Like, anytime he knocks someone out in this episode, someone makes that noise. It's so good. <laughs> So pretty much uh, at the end of the episode, Walker takes on Hawkins and... Hawkins is like, this time you're going to have to kill me. And Walker's like, no, I don't. And he puts his gun down and beats him up. All right. So this classic (laughs) Walker, they get into a fight. And what we've all been waiting for is the roundhouse kick finish. And this episode delivered on our namesake roundhouse roulette. Absolutely. And there is the eye contact... There's the the spinning of the body, and then the head pivots afterwards. It's like a ballerina doing a pirouette. Yeah, yeah. It, know, he except looked, it ends in devastation. <laughs> he was like wearing his Mike Myers onesie when he did it too, and it was awesome. <laughs> yeah. uh, I but, like the the slow mo changes and the camera goes from his face back to the guy, back to like a <laughs> establishing shot from a few feet away, and it's like jumping all around all during this slow mo. And what ends up being the grand finale, in my, mm. in my opinion, which is did he go through a sheet of glass? And he kicks yeah. him through the uh, studio window. <laughs> yeah, it's like a control room. He goes right, yeah, right through there. <laughs> All while making the the dying boss noise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With so, echo. Not, not. They could have just ended it there, but instead, Walker, who initially was reluctant to be on TV earlier in the episode and made fun of Alex as a blabbermouth, took the opportunity to talk to the people watching the live broadcast, and he went into a stump speech on racism. It was quite touching. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He basically yeah. said uh, that those aren't American values, and uh, that's why people like that will never prevail. And it was an awkward freeze frame and fade out. And there was no joke after that. Mm-mm. That was the end of the episode. Usually they would have something a little lighthearted after that, but they weren't playing yeah. around. They really yep. wanted people to take that message home with them. And you know, it probably right after that, right as the credits rolled, it probably, while you were watching that on TV, segued directly into the beginning of like Nash Bridges or something. Up next on Nash Bridges. <laughs> <laughs> or the cold open for Nash Bridges. 
Oh, man. Obviously, they don't approve of uh, white supremacists, but I just don't think it was the vehicle for them to deal with this. I feel like this one misjudged its uh, its ability to uh, put things into perspective. Okay, well, here's my question. Does it make me a bad person that I'm glad that they tried? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that pretty much sums up this episode. We'd love to hear your thoughts on what you thought about it. But uh, before we uh, conclude things, I think we've got to get into the stats here. So I've got one roundhouse kick. Um, There was one kick earlier that was almost a roundhouse kick, but I think that was more of an appetizer, as we discussed. One of the hallmarks of a Walker episode is they keep rolling the credits for... Uh, executive producer, hairstylist, whatever, throughout much of the beginning of the TV episode, uh, whereas most shows just roll those credits at the end. This one clocked in at nine minutes and one second was the last (laughs) opening credit. Nice. (laughs) So I think we beat the last episode with that, so pretty good. Nice. As far as fights, I mean, since Walker was kind of going one-man army, I'm just going to consider that one fight uh, the shakedown earlier in the episode, I'm going to consider that one fight. So really, two fights, yeah? Yeah, I guess so. I think that makes sense. As far as explosions, uh, the car fire, we're not going to count, but we'll count the uh, whole floor of a building definitely counts. <laughs> so that's one. And then the uh, uh, fake-out uh, mine that Walker took out the bad guy, so that's two explosions. We had zero vehicle chases, which is kind of odd, but, you know, hey. We did uh, have that, a jump, though. Yeah. The car did and, jump and eventually get, got lit on fire, so. They were stalking him, so yeah. I don't really consider that a chase. That's more of a stock. No. No, but a car did burn, so I think it's worth mentioning. <laughs> Albeit, it doesn't count. It's yeah. still. Yeah. yeah, just keep that in the running. It's I mean, something. they. They did use yeah. their full budget on this episode. Right. We got we to think about budgets here. So Yeah. yeah. Uh, our bad guy of the week is a white supremacist. Um, I'm sure we'll see a few more of those as we get through these uh, remaining 198 episodes. When we come back, it'll be time for our individual roundhouse ratings. Welcome back. Now it's time for our patented individual roundhouse ratings of this episode, where we give a rating of 0 to 10 roundhouse kicks for where we think this episode stacks up. Now we're still pretty early on, and we're still honing in uh, where we're going to rank on these things, but um, Bob, where, where do you put this beast? So I initially was thinking real high. I really thought this was good. I'm going to pull it back a little bit. I'm going to give it an 8, which is Oof. still good, but... Between the fight scenes, the sound effects, the whole diehard thing that was going on there, and the completely un- ridiculous racial elements here. Uh, blasphemy, I think is the right yeah. word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I think I, I give it a solid eight. I, I guess maybe mostly for the fight scenes. Guys are flying around. Um, <laughs> yeah, sound, yeah. Again, sound effects. And then the ending roundhouse kick. That's really what I'm looking for in a, in a mm. Walker episode. This yeah. one delivered. Uh, this is an eight for me as well. It was blasphemy all over the place. Explosions, excellent fighting, trying to tie it all together with a moral compass. That is Walker, Texas Ranger in a nutshell. 
it would be a 10 if it didn't deal so badly with race and they shouldn't have even touched uh, the battered women theme at all because it was just so thrown in there. If they had done those a little bit better, it might have ranked a little bit higher for me. Well, that's pretty interesting because I would also give this puppy an 8. I totally agree that uh, I think this is really when uh, Walker, the as a, as a show itself, as a construct, uh, is really hitting its stride as being completely over-the-top ridiculous, um, but also formulaic. The fight scenes were pretty ridiculous. The premise of the bad guys uh, was handled very poorly, which I feel like is a hallmark of the uh, show. And yeah, I think like at this point, Walker really is sort of like a full-blown superhero strength. And so uh, just seeing like all the bad guys fly around uh, was pretty hilarious. And to add a little icing on top is the fact that they were uh, white supremacists. It just made it all the more uh, satisfying to watch them get their butts handed to them. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I would say this was definitely definitely an eight. I agree that the uh, the mishandling of actually serious social issues brings this one down a bit. So and that makes an average of eight boots to the face for this episode. Well, I think we can all agree that Patriot had a lot to offer. But uh, let us know what you think on social media or by emailing us at roundhouseroulette at gmail.com. When we come back, we'll spin the roundhouse roulette wheel to select next week's episode. And we're back. Bob, are you ready to spin that wheel? Here we go, Evan. (laughs) Whoa, look at that thing go. Another season five. The neighborhood. Oh my god, this is so going to be inner city. All right. (laughs) Let me grab this DVD case. Shot in a bloody gang crossfire, a critically injured girl somehow survives and inspires Walker to help her end the terror and violence in her neighborhood. It looks like Walker's going to be taking on some gang violence in this next episode, so... All right, well, we hope you'll join us next week when we share our reactions to Season 5, Episode 22, The Neighborhood. Share your opinions with us on Facebook and Instagram at at Roundhouse Roulette and Twitter at at Roundhouse Pod. And rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week. May the eyes of the ranger be upon you. Texas look behind you Oh, cause that's where the ranger's gonna be